A few years ago, an image began to make its way around the internet. An island that looked straight out of a Dr. Seuss book with craggy rocks and slopes and valleys. The whole thing is covered with shamrock green grass, mountains in the distance. And in the middle of this island, perched at the base of one of the slopes, is the single, solitary, extremely normal-looking house. White shingles, pointy roof, a deck. In the viral photo, the house is a tiny speck of white in this vast carpet of green. For years, rumors swirled about this building, that it's an eccentric billionaire's apocalyptic safe house, that Bjork lives there, that the building doesn't exist at all, that the whole thing has been photoshopped. The internet named this building the world's loneliest house. But this house, it's not actually lonely. Because on that island, there are hundreds upon hundreds of puffins, Iceland's unofficial mascot, sometimes called the parrots of the sea for their bright, cartoonishly orange beaks and because they're seabirds. They are also objectively one of the cutest birds on the planet. But the puffins that reside on this island are caught in the middle between two groups of humans with very different goals, and their future hangs in the balance. I'm Johanna Mayer, and this is Atlas Obscura, a celebration of the world's strange, incredible, and wondrous places. Today, we visit the misnamed world's loneliest house, and we get to know the puffins who live there. Some people want to eat them. Some people want to protect them. And both these people collide inside this house. More after this. When was the last time I took a road trip? How many national parks could I hit in two weeks? What about hotels? Wait, hey, Erica, how much am I spending on travel? When your questions about life turn into questions about money, there's Erica, the virtual financial assistant to help you spend, save, and plan smarter. Only from Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? Erica is only available in the English language. You must download the latest version of the mobile banking app, only available on select mobile devices. Your chat may be recorded and monitored for quality assurance. Message and data rates and additional terms may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. If you're looking for a place where the wide open skies and the towering mountains inspire you to find an untapped part of yourself. You might want to take a trip to Wyoming. It's a place where bold, curious spirits forge their own way on all types of adventures. There is no shortage of iconic, expansive landscapes out there. You can discover breathtaking hikes, stunning state parks, authentic Western culture, and other historic sites, along with the tales of famous outlaws like Butch Cassidy and pioneers like Buffalo Bill Cody. The truth lies west. Discover yours at TravelWyoming.com. The world's loneliest house is on Etlilae Island, which is part of a cluster of islands called Vestmanayer, or the Westman Islands. And if you were in search of the world's loneliest house, you'd first arrive on the main island, and you'd make your way to the local dock. You can actually see Etlilae from the marina. It's about a 15-minute boat ride away. And when you arrived at the dock, 
A man in his mid-30s wearing a thick olive green vest, a backwards baseball cap, and a full blonde beard would likely be the one walking up the gangway to greet you. This is Ragnar. My name is uh, Ragnar Thor Johansson. I am a a fisherman and a fishing boat captain and a deep-sea diver. Ragnar is also the de facto one-man chamber of commerce for the island, the guy that everybody goes to when they want to visit at Lille. The old guys in the island, they always tell everybody to call me. Like, hey, he will do it. (laughs) So it's kind of my job. But uh, it just depends on my mood, basically, if I say yes or no. I'm usually always in a good mood, but if I don't like it, I don't want to take you to my favorite place. And here is where Iceland's unofficial mascot comes back into play. We cannot talk about Etlile Island and the world's loneliest house without talking about puffins. Ragnar has been coming to Etlile, his favorite place on Earth, since he was just a year old. And his family's connection to the island goes even further back. Generations ago, certain local families, including Ragnar's, were granted access to Etlile to collect hay and do a bit of sheep and cattle raising. But soon, another tradition emerged. They started hunting puffins for food for the winter. Puffin hunting stretches back to the time of the Vikings. Vast colonies of the birds sustained settlers as they established new homes in Iceland, Greenland, and the Faroe Islands. Only a few generations ago, families like Ragnar's would salt puffin meat in barrels and eat the birds throughout the year. Real sustenance. My great-great-grandfather hunted there, and he provided food for my grandmother and my great-grandmother, and she for my grandma, and so on and on. And that's how it kind of started. Today, puffin hunting is still a pretty low-tech ordeal. No guns. Instead, the hunters use a long pole with a net attached. They tie a rope around their waist for safety, and they perch on the very edge of the cliffs above the ocean and watch as the birds circle above. When the moment's right, the hunters scoop them out of the air with the net. Most difficult thing is to see the birds. When there are hundreds and thousands of birds flying to pick the one you want. That's the hard thing. That's straining your eyes to see them. Ragnar loves hunting puffins. And he also loves eating them. It tastes like, you can't describe it. So, so much different. It's not like chicken. It's, it's, it's so unique. I don't, have never been able to say what it tastes like because it's such a unique flavor. Yeah, I love it. I've seen the taste described elsewhere as a little briny, a little fishy, kind of rubbery, but Don't take it from me. Along with the Faroe Islands, Iceland is one of two places in the world where puffin hunting is legal. And one of the most popular spots to do it is the Westman Islands. They're home to the largest Atlantic puffin colony on the planet. Puffin hunting's a big deal there. There are entire hunting associations dedicated to it. And that is where the world's loneliest house comes in. Remember, Etlile is part of a cluster of islands, and each island is connected to a different hunting association, which in turn builds its own lodge. The lodge on Etlile just happens to be the most famous one because of its picturesque landscape. Ragnar loves to razz the guys and the other associations about that. 
And inside, the lodge is really nice. There are about 15 bunk beds, a shared kitchen, a sauna. And it's not actually the only structure on the island. There's also a small shed nearby that can be used as sleeping quarters in a pinch. And I should mention, building this place? Not a small feat. If you look at pictures of the island, you'll see that it's basically a cliff just coming straight out of the water. There's no sandy beach or gentle place to tie up a boat. So to get up there, you have to leap from the boat, grab a bunch of ropes that are cabled in, and climb up the cliffside. And if you're building a lodge, you have to do that while carrying all of your building materials. They did not use helicopters. So it is kind of a pain to get there. But for Ragnar, it's hands down worth it. It's a lovely place. It's really nice. You're always maintaining the house and, and uh, we work together and have parties together and, and everything. It's like a lot of us are cousins or related or like son-in-law and brothers. And so it gets kind of people like that. In the early 2000s, the hunters on Etlile and the surrounding islands began to notice something. There were fewer young puffins than usual, a lot fewer. They began to find dead pufflings in the sheep paths. The hunters went to the local government and asked them to bring in a specialist to figure out what was going on. Long story short, uh, that was me. This is Erper Snarehansen. He's a puffin biologist and the director of South Iceland Nature Research Center. We've actually talked to Erper about his work with puffins before for an episode about a group of people who save young pufflings that have wandered from their nests. He's sort of become the go-to puffin guy for the region. So I was hired basically initially to answer the question, well, why is this happening? So Erper came in, did a review, and the news wasn't good. He found that a whole chunk of adolescent puffins were essentially missing from the population. The pufflings were dying of starvation. It's a complicated swirl of events, but Erper says that basically what's happening is the food chain is all out of whack. Every year in the ocean, there's something called a spring bloom, when the phytoplankton explosively multiply and suck up all the nutrients in the ocean around them. Basically, they turn into delicious and nutritious food. This is the basis of the whole ecosystem. So this is like uh, the, what everybody else is sort of taps on. The plankton become food for crustaceans, and the crustaceans become food for slightly bigger fish. One of those slightly bigger fish is the sand eel. So they are what is called a key species in the sense that everything above in the, in the food pyramid depends on this species. Puffins eat a lot of sand eel. So when the sand eel is in trouble, so are the puffins. And it's all because that spring bloom, the event that kicks off this entire cycle, has been happening later. It's delayed, in large part thanks to warmer waters, aka climate change. And because of this delay in the food source, the puffins have delayed their own breeding schedule. In recent years, they've been breeding nearly three weeks later than usual. And when a chick hatches three weeks late, that's three weeks closer to winter. They often don't have enough time to grow and get strong. Plus, 
a lot of the birds just stop attempting to breed in the first place. In 2011, things got so dire that, for the first time ever, the government completely banned puffin hunting in the Westman Islands. The ban didn't last long. In 2013, a vocal minority petitioned to reopen the season, and they won. But Airper says that even if people still wanted to hunt, there would have been basically no birds left to catch. In the last few years, the puffins have been doing a little better. They're on a slight rebound. The numbers still aren't enough to maintain the population, so still overall downward trajectory. But there is some hope. Today, puffin hunting is allowed on the Westman Islands on a very limited season. And it's often in flux. In 2015, Westman authorities limited the season to five days. The next year, they scaled it back even further, to just three days. As for Ragnar, he says his association stopped hunting for about 10 years. And he did clarify that they only hunt birds that are not reproducing. Still, at this point, for Erper, any hunting is still too much hunting. And I estimated, okay, if we keep hunting for the next decade, the population will decline, uh, given a, a, it will keep going at the same pace as, as it has for the last decade. It will go down 30% more. But if there would be no hunting, the decline would be 10%. So they're adding absolute 20 on top of that. Um, and that's something that which uh, I don't know how much that's sunk in. On Etlile Island, two things are true. It is true that puffin populations are not where they need to be, and that if we continue on the current course, including hunting them, they're at risk of extinction. It is also true that the puffin hunt is a huge part of the culture for the people of the Westman Islands, people like Ragnar and his family. It's just the culture thing, you know, you're keeping something alive, your great-grandfather did to feed your grandmother, great-grandmother and your mother and your dad and your great-granddad and everything. It's like we are trying to keep something alive and teach our children how they used to make it in life, you know. But much of the joy of spending time on Etlile doesn't have much to do with hunting at all. Most of it has to do with just hanging out spending time together at the end of the day. And a lot of that happens in the world's loneliest house. We always have the thing called you know, evening sun where we play guitars and sing songs and, uh, and play cards, chess, and we go to the sauna, we have a sauna there, and we just enjoy each other's company, telling stories, just to enjoy being there. An amazing view, going out to the deck, listening to the birds, you know, it's, it's complete silence. It's, Absolutely amazing. And it's not just Ragnar and the Hunting Association that come out to the island. I came in 81 when I was 15 to Adelaide. That was my first trip. Wow, it's more than 40 years since. And anyway, so we started, uh, <laughs> we were a group of bird ringers and, and sort of bird nerds. Adelaide was part of Airper's formative years too, except he wasn't out there to hunt. He's been going to the island for years as part of his work with birds. That first trip when he was 15, he was banding petrels, a different seabird in the region. And these days, he and his team often head out to the island more than a dozen times per year to study the puffins. 
For a long time, Erper and the researchers used to sleep in the other structure on the island, the one that's really more like a shed. These days, though, the researchers have gotten an upgrade in their accommodations. They no longer have to sleep in the shed. Instead, they often rent out the world's loneliest house from Ragnar and the Hunting Association. They know each other. They're friendly. You might think that Erper and the Puffin Hunters couldn't coexist on the island, that they're out there doing things that might seem antithetical to each other. But at the end of the day, the researchers and the hunters both really just want the same thing. More puffins. This is my favorite thing to do in the world, and still is my, my favorite thing to do. The nature, the peace, it's so beautiful. It's so lovely. And being a kid there, oh my God, even an adult. And now I'm taking my son. It's a completely amazing place. This place is magical, not only in the day where you have the puffins around, but also you have around midnight, they start, these guys start culling on the ground. They are also burrowing uh, seabirds and they are nocturnal though. So, so they start flying, some of them like bats during night. So this is a 24 hour enterprise in, in Edlade and, and uh, it's, it's just, um, well, I would call it a magical place really. If you want to learn more about the Puffin situation in the Westman Islands, check out our episode called Puffin Patrol, about a community that sweeps the streets each night looking for lost pufflings and helping them find their way back to the beach. A lot of people take part in it, entire families, in fact. It's really sweet. And you'll hear from Erper in that episode, too. There's a link in the episode description. And if you want to visit Etlile and the world's loneliest house yourself, you know who to call. You'll just have to see if Ragnar is in a good enough mood to take you to his favorite place on Earth. Our podcast is a co-production of Atlas Obscura and Stitcher Studios. The production team includes Dylan Therese, Doug Baldinger, Chris Naka, Camille Stanley, Manolo Morales, Baudelaire, Gabby Gladney. Our technical director is Casey Holford. This episode was mixed by Luce Fleming. Our theme and end credits are by Sam Tyndall. And I'm Johanna Mayer, wishing you all the wonder in the world. I'll see you next time. Remember the Thai cave rescue? What about the mission depicted in Black Hawk Down or the epic rescue shown in Captain Phillips? You've probably heard of all of these, but did you know that the U.S. Air Force Special Warfare played a pivotal role in all of them? These airmen are the most highly trained warriors on the planet. Other forces like the SEALs and Army Rangers call on them to provide skills no one else can. Not many people make the cut. If you think you can, visit AirForce.com to learn more. The world isn't wide enough for those with an insatiable desire for discovery. 
The all-new 2024 Lincoln Nautilus Hybrid SUV offers the power and freedom to explore further and deeper than ever before. Intuitive, smart features ensure that you're always connected to the road ahead. Inside, a thoughtfully designed cabin immerses you in a universe that is all your own. The larger-than-life panoramic display spans the entire width of the cabin. It's customizable and interactive. Drivers can even personalize their backgrounds with a series of nature-inspired themes. This vehicle signals the arrival of an exciting new chapter for Lincoln. Discover more about the 2024 Lincoln Nautilus at Lincoln.com. 